Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. Before we get into it today, I just want to take a second to thank you all for your continued support. It really does mean a lot to me. And also, if there are things that you want to see on the show that I'm currently not doing, guests you want to see, content you want me to cover, please reach out to me, FelixLevineWTG at gmail.com or DM me at Felix.Levine on Instagram. I want to hear from you guys, so please reach out. It means the world. Also, if you're listening to this right now, please just take a quick second, rate and review on Apple's podcast app, five stars. That goes a very, very long way. And of course, a quick reminder, as always, my YouTube channel, Felix Levine, search that on YouTube. You'll find me. Please subscribe. You can watch everything in its full video version there. Smaller clips and highlights from all of my episodes are always on my YouTube channel. So always go check it out if you want to check out the video versions of those episodes. I think that's it for housekeeping, so let's get into my episode today. And my guest today is a super successful entrepreneur and businessman. He made a load of his career in the healthcare industry, and if you guys follow him on Instagram, you know he is quite a trip on there as well. Please welcome Brian Goldstein. And we're live. Brian, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today. It's uh, I know you're very busy. And also, I saw that you are a new father, so congratulations. And I know that you're especially busy because you have a new baby. Uh, my wife does most of the heavy lifting, luckily for me. Um, but I'm a light sleeper, so every time she wakes up, I wake up. What's that been like? I mean, so how old's the baby? About three, four weeks old? Uh, six weeks now. Six weeks. Okay. Yeah. Um, not bad. I wouldn't change it. Um, you just get used to it. I'm used to operating on three hours of sleep a night anyways. I'm just used to a solid three versus like a broken three. Fair enough. Fair enough. So I told you a little bit before we got started. Um, is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something the world may not know about you from what you put out there? Yeah. So one thing I've never talked about and I've only talked about on one other podcast was I was in special ed from sixth grade through my first year in high school. And with that comes bullying and all that other fun stuff. And just because you weren't loaded the best deck from the beginning doesn't mean you can't succeed in life and you can't let that limit you. Well, so that other podcast that you're addressing, I believe, is the the episode with Sam Bakhtiar, um, which may God, you know, rest in peace um, because I had him on my show. He was one of my guests for for my listeners listening out there uh, who remember that episode and are not aware uh, very, very sadly, Sam Bakhtiar passed away and you were a guest on his show and I actually listened to that episode um, a couple days ago. And so you addressed that, I, I believe, in that episode. And I'm just curious, um, you know, at what point did you kind of know that you might have had a, a learning disability and did you feel badly about it when you were younger? What was what was that like for you growing up? So I kept having issues in classes like I'd read something, I can read it perfectly and then it literally go in You'd ask me a question five seconds later, and I was so focused on figuring out how to pronounce each word, really, you know, enunciating it correctly and all of that stuff that I would literally forget everything I just read because I was so focused on each little detail instead of taking in the whole story. Um, My parents started sending me for testing, whatnot. And then by sixth grade, they had figured out, hey, 
your special needs. And I'm like, ah, whatever that means. And Beverly Hills school district had one of the best special needs versus private schools and everything else. They had a completely devoted team to helping people like me work through my issues and get through all of that. And so for you, I mean, did you feel like, you know, dissuaded or, uh, you know, from, from doing certain things or did it, did it kind of, um, you know, hinder your desires of, of, you know, future life? It made me dig deeper and want to push harder than before because, you know, being in special ed, you're bullied. Even though I was in six out of seven regular classes, people still knew that one class I was in and I get into my share of fights and they're like, you're going to the principal's office. I'm like, okay, make my day. My dad doesn't care. And I'd go to the principal's office, talk shit and be like, all right, am I waiting for my father? Am I going back to class? Have a nice day. Bye. And, you know, even in school, I wasn't the kid that was like, I listened to my teachers, but if they didn't teach what something I was liking, I spoke up and And I just drove through it. And for you, I mean, did you, um, did you feel like, I mean, did you, did you have the aspirations of what you're doing today at, at that, at that young age? No, because I grew up in a household with drug abuse and alcohol abuse. I was just looking forward to getting through each day peacefully. And it wasn't until I graduated, I was like, oh shit, what am I doing now? And then really trying to figure it out from there. And I started several businesses from there and just eventually found my groove. And now I'm at a crossroads in my life of what do I want to do? I have a kid. I don't want to be on the road as much. And I guess, quote unquote, I'm an influencer on the side, but I'm still a business guy. But as you know, being an influencer, you're on the road a lot, especially in the gun world that I'm so active in. Nothing's in California because we're liberals. So I got to hop on a plane to go to Texas, Georgia, Florida, just everywhere else that's a red state to do what I want to do. So we've been debating, do we uh, pack up and move to another state that's more friendly and be able to be closer to home? So before we get into all of that, I'm curious, how much did um, your childhood and I guess just from just from the bullying aspect in itself kind of influence the way you you carry yourself today and and kind of the individual that you are today? So your average person, for some reason, and it must be the attitude I carry, they either love me or hate me because I don't sugarcoat it. It, you know, I speak it how it is. If I don't like you, I'm going to flat out tell you, hey, Felix, I don't like you. We're not doing this podcast. It's over. And I end it. Um, and some people love that. And some people are like, why are you so harsh? Why don't you sugarcoat it? I didn't have that opportunity growing up to sugarcoat. So for me, fuck you, let's keep going. And that's just how I've looked at everything in life. And that's my attitude. There is no locked door. If I can make through, make it through everything I made it through growing up, then I can make it through this. And I think that, you know, and, and in listening to that episode, and I recommend that everybody who's listening to this right now also go check out that episode with, with you and, uh, and Sam is, you know, you talk a little bit about the substance abuse and I don't know how much you want to go into that or not, but I do think that it was incredibly inspiring for me to hear, um, your story because I'm sure that there's so many families uh, and so many kids out there that suffer from, uh, one or both parents that have a substance abuse problem. And for you, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure that people have maybe hit you up about it, or if not, um, what would be your, your best piece of advice or, you know, kind of a uh, little nugget that could, that could help someone that's experiencing some of the things that you, that you had go- growing up. 
So aside from that one interaction with Sam talking about it, which, you know, you saw because you were doing homework, but the average person, you know, Sam had a decent following, but he hadn't blown up just yet. Right. Um, most people don't know about that history of me. They just see the cars, the women, the guns, and that's all they know me for. And they think, oh, you live this extravagant lifestyle. Well, that's partially true, but no one knows the struggles I went through getting there. And with the drug and alcohol abuse, you know, I was physically beaten. I was verbally abused. It wasn't a safe environment for a child. Um, I dealt with CPS, Child Protective Services. I dealt with the cops. It was a lot of fun stuff that most people, I've been talking to my mentor about it. He's like, most people usually just follow the road of, oh, my parents did it. So I'm going to use drugs. I'm going to drink. I'm going to do this. And I chose my whole life to be sober. I'll do a shot here and there if like my friends are really annoying me, but I can go without alcohol. I can party till four in the morning. Just give me water. I'll be fine. And I, I'm thinking about starting my own series called the step before the 12 step, um, because I chose to make that decision before I ever needed anything. What was, and, and, you know, you can go into it as much or as little as you, as you'd like, but, um, do you remember the the first time that you kind of encountered or understood uh, that your parents, or mostly from what from what I understood from that episode, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, primarily your mother in the beginning, um, had a substance abuse problem? Like, how old were you, and what was your kind of knowledge of the situation, what that kind of meant? Ooh. I couldn't tell you an exact age that I remember it happening. I just remember once it was acknowledged, it wasn't stopped being acknowledged till 26, 27. Obviously I got bigger. So the abuse ended once I got to a certain size, but the verbal emotional never really ended until then. And did you have, do you have siblings? I have a sister. She, um, we made a choice when we were younger, she went to boarding school in Switzerland. I stayed behind and dealt with everything. And for you, I mean, um, you know, and I don't know, like if, if someone, if someone, if, if someone asked you, what would you tell yourself uh, at that age? If you had to, you know, unfortunately go through it all over again, is there something that you would have changed in the way that you handled things or, or understood about the situation? I wish I would have utilized resources given to me. Um, my high school realized I was having a problem and they gave me free counseling. And they pushed me to see a doctor and do all that stuff. And I held back instead of, you know, really discussing my fears, emotions, all of that, just because I didn't want to be removed from my home. Um, I wish I was more honest. Is that something that you're able to do today? Yeah. So I've spent a couple hundred thousand dollars on different types of therapy over the years um, experimented with mushrooms to really clear all those mental blocks experience with microdosing. Um, I tried combo for the first time. That was, that was rough. Um, but I want to eventually build it to where I can, uh, attempt ayahuasca, but that scares the living hell out of me. What, so, what, what were some of the experiences with some of those other, um, substances? so the mushrooms, uh, one of my friends called me one day and he was like, Hey, Brian, uh, I know, you always want to try ayahuasca, but hey, let's start small. All right, cool. Maybe you know him, Danny Morell. And uh, Danny's like, hey, come over. I'm doing a ceremony, so on and so forth. I was like, all right, fuck it. Let's go. 
and drag my girl with me. And she's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Why are we spending $600 on this? Just shut up. Let's go. And she's like, I don't want to do it with strangers. There was like 15 people in the room. I was like, what are you so afraid of? And she's like, I just, I don't want to go through my own experience with 15 people. I don't know. And long story short, at the end of it, we both walked out of there the happiest we could be. A lot of other people were dealing with other stuff, but I was able to see, it was like a weird time travel where I went a hundred years backwards and a hundred years forward. And then I saw pieces of my life that I needed to fix. I didn't really see the abuse or anything. For some reason, my body's just like, ah, skip that. We'll go on to the next and just really map out my future going forward to really get me over those mental hurdles. Cause coming from where I came from, yeah, I'm, my skin's thick, but I still hit a wall every now and then and need to be able to release to go to something else. Was there any hesitation um, to do those, you know, uh, microdosing some of those drugs, um, took, especially when you, especially when you're sober and you live a very healthy life? It took me three years to overcome that fear. Wow. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to do it. Like I'd literally pay for it the night before. I'd be like, fuck it. I'm out. I don't care about my deposit. Like smell you later. What was, I mean, like, what were some of those fears of what could happen? I didn't ever want it to be a problem. And so like, I've had two back surgeries, a shoulder surgery. I took pain meds for the first 24 hours just because it was excruciating. And then after that, I'd switch to Tylenol or Advil just because I didn't want to ever have a problem. And I'm the kind of person, I was a big boy. I was 260 pounds up until early last year. And I decided to do the gastric sleeve just because food was my crutch. Like that was the thing that, you know, I didn't abuse drugs or anything, but Hey, you want a pizza for breakfast? Fuck it. I'll eat a pizza. You want tiramisu for breakfast? No problem. So that was my vice. And now that I've done the surgery, I still eat shitty. Don't get me wrong, but now I can only eat small portions. And I was able to shake off the 85 pounds extra that I was carrying around and feel a lot healthier and happier by doing that as well. Was the, I guess the, um, the hesitation to do some of those microdosing strictly because of your childhood? Yes. Okay. And then once I started it, I was like, there's, I didn't feel anything. And then a month later, my girl's like, well, why are you able to handle stress even better than before? I was like, oh, and then I just didn't think about it. Cause I take 40, 50 vitamins a day. So when you throw in that one thing, you're like, you don't remember what you're taking. You're just like, all right. And my mood changed. I was able to deal with stress even better than I can. Growing up in the environment I grew up in, being in a hostile, crazy, argumentative place, that feels like home, unfortunately. So I have to sometimes throttle back when someone's trying to escalate me. Otherwise, I'm going to tear them a new one and they're not going to like me. And you're also, I believe, a, uh, a black belt in martial arts? Yeah. Uh, I haven't tried since I was about 14, but I have it. And, you know, more than that, you know, I carry a gun everywhere, so I'm not going to get my hands dirty. I'll just take out your kneecap. <laughs> um, and so I'm curious, wh what were some of the main differences that you noticed um, with those different kind of drugs that you tried? So in your the experience? first, so their classification is it's plant medicine, just so they're like, it's not a drug. I was like, it's a drug. They're like, no, it's plant medicine. All right, fine. Technicality. Um, 
So my biggest thing was walking into the ceremony. I had never done any hallucinogenic, anything of that sort ever. And I was like, uh, the only thing I could reference was movies of what happens when you take stuff. And I was like, oh, this may not end well. And it's crazy that they had three shaman there playing different tones, sounds, singing. And depending on what they sang, your vision would drift to a completely new vision of, okay, let's experience this. Let's experience that. And certain songs would make you feel certain ways. And then you'd start seeing other things. And this whole experience, you're wearing a blindfold. You're not looking at nature. You're not tripping out. Oh, look, that tree's changing. No, you're in your own head for, I thought it was 30 minutes when I woke up and was like back in it. It was five hours later and I wouldn't change it. Like I've done it once more with the shaman, but I did it with a friend and that friend had a bad trip. So my trip was kind of interrupted and wasn't as spiritually seeking as I wanted it to be. So maybe I'll try it again in the near future, but uh, the microdosing at least keeps me level-headed. And what kind of thoughts and maybe moments from your life kind of did you have or do you think about? Uh, I saw first girlfriend. I saw my child who wasn't here yet. I saw an empire that I've already started building, but it multiplying and really getting to the places that I want it to be and hitting those levels and so on and so forth. And for you, I mean, is that, you know, especially as someone who doesn't do drugs and um, is clean, you know, for some people who might get high all the time, that's not really like out of the ordinary. But for you, is that a is that something that freaked you out? At first, I took it and I was like, nothing's happening. I'm going to sleep because they had you bring a yoga mat and a blanket. And I was like, screw it. I had to wake up early. I'm going back to sleep. I'm laying there and then I start seeing flashing lights. I'm like, who's flashing lights in my face? I moved the blindfold. Okay, I'm looking at the ceiling. And I was like, okay, it's starting to work. And then because it was so mellow in, I felt safe is the best word to put it. And I don't know, I guess an hour and a half into it, which felt like five minutes into it, he's like, hey, raise your hand if you want more. More? I don't want fucking more. I'm happy where I'm at. Uh, and so I just stayed with my dose. My girl took more. She took like another half of whatever. And she dealt with a lot of stuff as well. And it was beneficial to both of us. It made our relationship stronger. It helped a lot of things, um, helped us get over the mental blocks of pregnancy and all of that other stuff. And really just helped me open my mind on the roadblocks in life. And are there some things or some realizations from those moments that um, you've kind of been able to implement in your own life since? Partially, yes. Um, you know, just setting goals and really sticking to them and not letting other people uh, deter you from it. And then another thing, another mental block I had walking into it was being as connected as I am with social media, the business world and everything. I have a lot of acquaintances that sometimes I mesh as friends when they're not really friends and I need to cut the weight. And a lot of people I'm sure struggle with, hey, I really love Joe, but Joe brings me down and never tells me anything positive. And Joe's been in my life since I was five. I can't let him go. But Joe's the one really holding you back. And that's really opened my eyes of who I'm keeping around me. And for you, I mean, you know, as you've gotten uh, bigger on social media and, um, you know, 
more people know about you? Is it harder for you to um, to gauge, maybe not harder, but is it harder for you to know that some people um, might not always have the the best intentions or, as you say, like might bring you down or or bring in more negative than positive or try to, you know, you know, climb or, or hang on to you as you get bigger? So my biggest thing I've learned is trust my gut. And when I don't trust my gut, because I always get this weird inkling, oh, this person seems cool, but something's missing. Let's just overlook that. And so it's really pushing through that to really see what I want and figuring out, hey, can this person benefit me as a friend and business, whatever it might be. It just, I look at everything as a networking experience, no matter where I show up. And for you, I mean, does that also kind of, um, I don't know, in a way, make it slightly less uh, or a little bit more upsetting to know that everything might just be a networking thing as opposed to a real, um, you know, friendship or relationship? A friend told me a long time ago, you have five really close friends you can depend on. Outside of those five, everyone's an acquaintance. That really stuck in my head. And I have five really close friends I can call no matter what, any time of day or night, they're there. No questions asked. I have friends who have been around since childhood. They're cool, but they're not there anytime, day or night. And what's in it for me? So the answer to your question is no, it doesn't bother me knowing that I have my five core. And if I ever want or need more, I can always grow it, but I'm perfectly happy where I'm at in life with that. And my birthday was the other day and, you know, people got butt hurt that I only had 10 seats at the table. So a lot of people got 86 and they're like, well, why wasn't I invited? Well, it's my birthday and I want the people that I know at a drop of a hat will do anything for me. When, when was your birthday? Uh, September 29th, Wednesday. Oh, wow. Happy, happy belated. Thank you. Well, how, how old are you now? 34. Wow. And I mean, say you were, I don't know, 12, 14, 15 years old and and I told you that you'd be where you are today at 34. What would what would a little 12? I wouldn't. Have, uh, for a while, I never thought I'd live past 25, just how reckless I was because of everything from childhood. I was super successful at 25, but putting my life on the line for a hobby didn't scare me. Racing motorcycles at 160 miles an hour. Fuck it. Let's go. Racing cars, racing trucks, like nothing scared me or slowed me down. And even to this day, I'm not afraid, but I realize I have other responsibilities. So instead of going a hundred percent, let's dial it to 65, 70% where I'm still in control. And is that because you now are a father and have bigger responsibilities? Um, that, that didn't change. The way I look at it is I employ a lot of people. I'm responsible for a lot of lives. And if anything were to happen to me, I'm not just affecting myself. I'm affecting 10, 20,000 people just at the blink of an eye, not including the reach of everything else. Does that ever um, burden you to know that you are responsible for that many people? No, it actually makes me feel good knowing that I'm helping that many people and considering how I grew up and everything. It just makes me feel good to give back and me and my girl get into it sometimes. She's like, why are you always doing favors? I don't call it favors. I call it, hey, I'm putting this out into the universe. If it comes back, it comes back. And God forbid I'm in a pinch. I know I can call on those karmic favors I did. And it should be there in time of me. 
I want to bring you a little bit to the to some of the business aspect because I think that your his, your your story is super super interesting. Um, I know well I know some of the story because of uh, because I listened to uh, a few of your episodes. But will you just really quickly recap kind of the first um, moments that you got into business and then obviously how you made most of your money and and got you to where you are today? Got it. Uh, so at seventeen, my dad had lupus. No, my dad had lupus from when I was in grade school, but around 17, he decided to move out of California and move to Minnesota. And he's like, Hey, here's the keys to the business. And we had two HIV pharmacies, one in San Francisco, one in Beverly Hills. And he's like, Hey, take it over. You're now in charge. The fuck you mean I'm in charge. I'm 17 years old. I don't know what I'm doing. Figure it out. All right. So I sat there, thought about it, put on my marketing hat, and I grew the business by like 1.5 million in a month. Well, our payables are due in 15 days. Insurance companies don't pay for 90 days, and I have two refills in the process. So I just put myself in debt, $4.5 million, growing overnight and saying, oh, fuck. So I started to learn to leverage credit cards, play the game call people and say, Hey, can I get extended dating? Can you charge me a point here? Charge me a point there. I need 90 days to catch up. And most people are like, wow, you grew by four and a half million over 90 days. Yeah, I did. But someone's got to pay the bill and you got to worry about cash flow. And you're 17 at this point, correct? 17, 18, right around there. Jesus. Okay. And so I took a business doing from $4 million a year to a hundred plus million dollars a year. Uh, over a short course of time. And when you're making that much money when you're young, you're like, oh shit, what's going on? Like, let's just go live life. And then I got married at 24 uh, when I found out I had a brain tumor and I was scared. I knew her for 30, 45 days. We got married, went to Vegas and that lasted two years. And then finally I woke up one day and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, let me enjoy my life. Let me have fun and really figure out what I want and became a man whore for a while. And then just had to figure out what I wanted in that and make sure I balanced work. Cause it didn't matter if I went with my friends, we'd go out Tuesday through Saturday, every night, the earliest I'd get home is two, but I was still at work every day by eight thirty, And that was just the work ethic I put in. Hey, there's coffee on the table. Smell you later and just walk out the door and do what I got to do. And so that drive of never giving up, I still had fun, a lot of fun. Traveled the world, Vegas, different countries, and I wouldn't change it for the world because that allowed me to be who I am today and figure out what I really want. Now, will you explain a little bit of, before we get into the rest of that, um, some of that pharmaceutical um, you know, business that you had? Because I'm very curious about that, especially as it pertains to, to HIV AIDS and, and what exactly was that you did? So. No different than CVS, we were a mom and pop version or are a mom and pop version. And so, God forbid you have HIV, you come to me, say, hey, Brian, uh, I'd like to start filling my scripts with you, so on and so forth. And I make it automated. It shows up on your door every month. I call you before it comes and just say, hey, do you need blah, blah, blah? Are you still good on everything? Has anything changed? And I make it like Amazon subscribe, where it shows up every month in a plain brown box that says from Brian doesn't say a pharmacy name or anything like that. And you have your privacy. And I just make sure that we stay on top of your meds. And it was just really offering that customer service. I wasn't selling anything special. I wasn't 
doing anything special besides really taking customer service to the next level. And I mean, obviously that industry has changed over time. Um, but what are, what are some of the biggest ways in which you've kind of adapted over, well, now you've been doing it for what, 10, 15 years? 17 years. 17 years. Wow. Um, how has that changed? How has the business changed um, over 17 years? So insurance companies stopped paying like they used to. The margins have dropped to 5 6% margins. So where it's changed is turning to a cash model. And I still do the HIV stuff and the margins are what they are. And you know that doesn't pay the bills anymore. That just covers the expenses of the facility. I've really taken a big shift into erectile dysfunction and helping men in that way, along with hormone replacement therapy, which insurances don't cover. And I offer it at a price where people can afford it and it doesn't hurt your wallet every time. And I still make it a much better spread. And how is it um, that you're able to, to offer it at a, uh, at a, you know, at a discount or not a discounted price, but a oh, lesser price? I compound it, which means I make it specifically for each person. So let's say, hey, Felix, you need my special concoction, blah, blah, blah. Your doctor sends me a prescription. And then I get the raw ingredients and then make it into a tablet, a drop, whatever your doctor's requesting. And then I send it directly to you. And you're not dealing with big pharma. You're not dealing with a wholesaler. You're not dealing with a middleman. Like I'm literally buying the bulk product from a manufacturer and doing everything in-house and bringing the cost down to peanuts. And instead of you paying 60 bucks for an ED med over the counter prescription wise, you're paying $5. Wow. $5 is a lot more manageable, especially if you want to have sex twice a week, you know, so on and so forth that you can afford 40 bucks a month. And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, big pharma or some of these huge pharmaceuticals, uh, have they, you know, had issues with what you do just because, you know, you take away customers from them? No, because I'm not in violation of their patents. It's complete. It's similar, but different from what they make. And uh, we formulate it different. So we're not in violation of anyone's patents. So they can't really mess with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. But their lobbying skills of going to different boards of pharmacy to say, hey, tell them, stop making this. They've done that. And they've killed out 50% of my business over the last couple of years of not just my business, every uh, compounder across the country, they've done this too. And it's just, it is what it is. It's the name of the game. So you have to figure out how to evolve and adapt. You're not going to go against a trillion dollar industry. So how do you, or, I mean, obviously the people that work with you um, come up with these concoctions. Uh, we work with other scientists that we work, uh, have as consultants and we work with doctors and we kind of, just have a roundabout of, Hey, here's the patient's issue. Here's what the doctor wants. How can we do this in a safe, effective way that uh, makes sense for everybody? So like, let's take an example, like the, the ED, um, you know, the ED medication, right? How is yours different from one that, you know, a big pharma, big pharmaceutical might, might offer. So I'll play with words a little bit because I don't have FDA approval. Um, what, the doctor is recommending to us because all of our direction comes from the doctor is, Hey, let's say a short acting works for the patient and they need help right now to get an erection. But also let's say they want to have sex again in four hours and they also need another boost, but they can't take that same medication. Hmm. So we figure out how to sync those two different short and longs to give them the short acting along with 24 hour, 36 hour effectiveness and working together that way. Versus having to take two different pills, 
uh, we can modify doses to keep everything in a safe, effective uh, manner. And for you, I mean, are there some stories, I'm sure that you have them, of people that have told you, especially in the United States where, you know, obviously the insurance and the big pharma, I mean, they, you know, crush a lot of these citizens. Um, but do you have any good stories of someone that, you know, reached out to you and said, hey, I mean, you saved my life. You know, I went from paying $60 a month for one prescription to, to five or six. So I don't talk with patients anymore. Okay. I used to when I was 17 to like 22. Um, my staff tells me about, you know, people will call us, hey, I'm paying hundreds of dollars at blah, blah, blah. Um, can you help us? Well, let's see what you are getting. Let's talk to your doctor, so on and so forth and really figure out how to work with you and your doctor and possibly your insurance to figure out the best solution. Um, so yes and no, not me personally, but um, me personally, like I pay, I think $1,100 a month for health insurance. They don't cover 90% of my medications, which I'm like, what the hell am I paying $1,100 a month for? And the only reason I keep it is because my reckless hobbies, I want to have the best insurance possible. And for you, I mean, so, so how many different medications throughout, um, does your company offer? Well, the list is endless. You could say 20,000. Wow. And, um, I have the highest licensure in California where I can also make injectables. So, and not just injectables, I can do intrathecal, which goes into your spinal fluid. And each area of specialty I'm talking about, just the list is endless. It's just what does the doctor really want or need and what's my risk factor? Because obviously making something that goes into someone's spinal system, uh, shit can go south quick. And so I tend to steer away from like the super high risk. Um, injections don't scare me. Those are pretty easy. Um, not much to go wrong as long as you're following all the protocols. And how much of your day is spent, you know, figuring out... Um you know, reg different regulations and all of that stuff? Uh, so I should have been a lawyer um, because I do not practice as a pharmacist. I have the degree. I never got my license because I pissed off the state and just didn't want them to have that extra over me. Um, I deal with regulation all day, every day. And my staff's always calling, hey, what's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? And I'll sit there and research it rather than call the attorney and pay them a thousand bucks an hour to give me an answer. I'll get the answer myself. Wow. And so how many employees do you have currently? Uh, like 25. Okay. And so what's your, I mean, what's your day-to-day -day other than, you know, looking up regulations all day, what's your day-to-day -day mostly consist of? So it's changed recently. I don't go into the office anymore because uh, of a conflict with the state. So it's sitting in the office you see me in right now checking on emails first thing in the morning, thinking about what content I want to shoot later in the week, making sure all my other business deals are set, um, looking at other investments. And for some reason, every day just it passes. I'm like, where'd the day go? And it's just kind of funny. It's like you plan it all out. And, you know, I got notepads everywhere in my office in front of me. And I have a big whiteboard with stuff on the other side of the camera of just notes of, hey, Make sure you don't forget about this. Make sure you don't forget about that. And it's just a never ending process of staying on top of stuff. So when did you kind of, you know, make a little transition into social media? And because I think that your story is fascinating because you have your, your whole, you know, what you do every day, what you've been doing for 17 years. And then also like people look at your social media and, you know, maybe if they spend 25 to 30 seconds, they might not expect your whole backstory. 
No. And even if you spent a couple hours on my social media, nobody can figure out. I've done a really good job of keeping my personal life personal and social media fun. Um, social media started off with the cars. I was making a lot of money and I was like, fuck it. Let's fill a void. I was trying to fill the void from childhood and I ended up with 24 cars at one point. And it's just like, okay, cool. But it didn't fill the void. It was fun for a second. And then a day later, I'm like, ah, I'm over it. And the social media started, you know, I was posting all these cool cars, doing all these cool raps. Me and my friends started a car club. We kind of helped grow each other. And then there was a falling out. And I was like, all right, I'm part of the car scene, but let's go play in the gun scene and kind of make a transition that way. And I took a hard left turn. And given the current political climate, I'm thinking about making a slight turn out of it just because I don't want my page getting killed. And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves. And now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. Right. Wow. And have you, were you always, uh, fascinated by, by guns? Uh, it's more of a technical thing of guns are cool. Don't get me wrong, but let's say you want to hit a target at 500 yards. Math starts coming into play. Basic math. You want to hit a target at a mile. You start worrying about earth rotation, humidity, temperature, wind. Like it starts playing a big deal in your deck of cards. And so it's more of the technical aspect of it's challenging. It's not just going to the gun range and saying, Oh, I'm going to shoot. No, I want to improve myself from last time. I want to hit this second time and so on and so forth. And just improving and growing upon my skills. What do you think is, you know, from someone that looks at your Instagram and then knowing you, what do you think is the biggest misconception or thing that they might not understand about you just from looking at your page? I've gotten a lot of messages, trust fund, baby. Um, what do you really do or social media pays for your whole life? Like, look, with a million and a half followers, I don't get paid diddly. I might get paid three, four grand a month on the high side, but I don't have a manager. That's just me talking to brands who reach out and say, hey, I want you to promote this. All right, 500 bucks. Um, I'm not the kind of influencer that says, hey, pay me 10 grand for a post or five grand for a post and let's do a three-year contract. Um, that's not my deal because... I'm happy with all of my investments outside of healthcare. I'm happy with what I've built over the years. And Instagram is entertainment. Could I turn it into a business? Of course. Um, would I like to? Maybe. It's just, I have to really sit there and study the whole business plan of what I want to do and fully execute it. And right now I'm so half in, half out that I'd rather just you know jump on your podcast or other people's podcasts and just talk. And if something comes of it, great. If not, hey, I tried it. It was cool. And on to the next. And I also get a lot of people that 
might know me through someone and know bits and pieces. And they're like, Hey, can you coach me? And I've coached some people along the way. And I was like, all right, it's two grand a month. And people are like, okay, they'll pay, but then they want me to do the work for them to improve their life. I'm like, dude, I'm giving you all the tools. I'm not going to sit there and hold your hand and build the company for you and figure out how to research this and that. Like, here you go. Like, here's the roadmap. I'll print it all out. I'll send it to you so you can do it, but I'm not physically going to do the work for you. You want me to do that. I'm taking 51% of your company and we can be partners and we'll figure it out. What's the, what's the coaching been like though, for, for the people that are willing to, to do the work for you? Um, so I've turned a handful of people into millionaires that are willing to put in the work and the sleepless nights and really think outside of the box. And on the fly, each person is different. Each opportunity is different. So I'm really good at on the fly. And like I said, from my childhood, being in that chaotic situation, I can think even better when it's peaceful. But even if things are chaotic and things are going south for that person, I can still figure it out pretty quickly and point them and shoot them right way. Do you kind of pick and choose who you're willing to to coach? Yeah, because for me, it's I don't have to. I don't need to. It's pick and choose. and um, just like the person that introduced me to you, it's they pick and choose who they work with. And for you, I mean, is that something that you could see yourself doing full time in the future? Oh yeah. I could definitely see myself on stage talking more, um, doing more stuff with Dan. Um, he's always fun to work with and just really building my own confidence on talking on the stage to people when it's a Q and a panel. I love it. When you throw me on stage by myself and say, talk, I kind of freeze up. Did you, and where do you think that comes from? Is it just stage fright or? It's just stage fright. But I feel like you uh, you seem very comfortable talking generally, no? Yeah, it's just weird when there's like, you know, 500 people <laughs> behind you or in front of you. And you're like, uh, I just like ramble my story really fast. And I'm like, okay, questions. <laughs> and then I just recover in questions. Do you, I mean, so is the plan 100% to sell your company and get out of healthcare eventually? Yeah. Like I said, I don't take shit from anybody and I may or may not have pissed off people in the state. So are you allowed to share? Are you allowed to share why? Um, I can share, I'll give you a rough over. Okay. Um, being in the position I'm in being at the financial standpoint, I was at, um, I had in-house general counsel and for who people don't know what that means is I had two attorneys sitting in my office all day, every day that were my employees, any legal issue. It's not call my attorney. I walk to their office, say, Hey, fix this. And the state showed up and they're like, why is your attorney? here? Why isn't my attorney? here?" And they didn't like that. And we would push hard. And when you're dealing with state regulatory agencies or any agency, I've learned now the pit bull effect does not work. Leave your attorney for when shit really goes bad, but just deal with it yourself and play nice. And that goes to me and my attitude from before of, I need to learn to dial it back and just stay calm. And back then, this was before the mushrooms. This was before all of that. I'd say, oh, you want to pick a fight with me? Let's go, motherfucker. And I wouldn't give up. And it works for the second, but you're dealing with the government. You're never going to (laughs) win. And so I had this false hope that I was going to win. And I didn't win. I got slapped really hard. (laughs) Interesting. Now, what was their initial 
for lack of a better word, like tip off that you like, why did they show up in the first place? Uh, so they show up every year, no matter what. And then I had an error on something, which is public record. We messed up on a medication. Nobody got hurt, but, uh, they found an internal testing log and they're like, Hey, what happened to these people? And they wrote me up and I ended up on probation and being on probation. They don't show up once a year. They show up once a quarter and the probation officer and I, she had an attitude. I had an attitude and it just got ugly quick. Wow. So, so there's no more attorneys that are across from you in the office. No, we laid them off. And if I need an attorney, I pick up the phone and say, Hey, come deal with this. That must've been pretty fun though, to have, like, just walk over and just have you like, like deal with it. Any question you have, Hey, uh, would you do this? Oh, let me do some research. Calls you back to their office a couple hours later. Okay. You're good. Here's the justification. Here's this, here's that. And you'd be surprised. Like, you could find someone who's mediocre. You know, you don't need the best as long as you have outside consultants, but you can hire someone for 65, 70 bucks an hour versus paying three, $400 an hour. Dude, that, what you pay one attorney for an hour covers your whole day of an employee. Do you know, are you familiar with um, how different like, or how strict American regulations are as opposed to other countries? Like if you did what you're doing now in another country, would it be harder oh, or easier? Dude. It's a cakewalk. Like I've been offered to come to other countries and do what I do and do it on a much larger scale, be an actual manufacturer. And I'm still in talks with a couple countries on it, but dude, it's way easier, less regulations, no FDA. Um, there's no state board of pharmacy. It's you're dealing directly with the government. And now we're just going to take another quick break because I am super excited to announce that I have once again partnered up with Eat Clean Bro. As many of you longtime listeners know, I've been a fan of and worked with Eat Clean Bro in the past, and they are, in my opinion, the best freshly prepped meal company out there today. If you are someone like myself who perhaps isn't the best cook or has long work days and no desire to put together a meal but wants to keep a healthy and balanced diet, Eat Clean Bro is absolutely the company for you. They have delicious meals that are also incredibly healthy that include freshly prepped salmon and asparagus, shrimp, spinach, chicken, and a whole lot more. I personally like to top off my meals with their chocolate and peanut butter protein balls that are my absolute favorites. If you want to go to eatcleanbro.com today and use my promo code WTG, you'll receive 10% off of every single order. I'm not kidding when I say I really love this company and use them weekly myself. They help me maintain a steady diet and reduce the stresses and labor of putting together a good tasting, healthy meal. Go check out eatcleanbro.com today. Now let's get back into it. And is that, I mean, why do you know? I mean, why is it that the United States is is like that as opposed to other countries? Do you have that answer? My opinion. Yeah, your opinion. Uh, my opinion would be they want to control everything. You know, why is it that an HIV medication cost me four thousand dollars, and I sell it for four thousand two hundred dollars? First of all, those margins fucking blow. But second of all, why the hell are we paying so much? Like EpiPens. Um, I don't know if you remember, but like a year or two ago, uh, I forget if it was Trump or someone else uh, said, hey, you guys can't tax people like $400 for an EpiPen. It should be 50 bucks. And they changed it. And same thing with insulin. And then with our current administration, they reversed all of that and allowed them to re-increase their prices. How is that fair to a person that can't afford their insurance? Like I travel outside of the country several times a year. 
I do stem cells in Colombia. And I talk to some of their employees there. They're like, dude, I can get my insulin for 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month versus here. A week supply is two, $300. And it's literally the same manufacturer, the same everything. Why are we fucking people for whatever financial reasons they want? It's not fair. And I just find it's kind of a rigged deck here. Do we over-medicate people? Yes. Do we overcharge people in our healthcare system? Yes. You can go to other countries and like I did a hair transplant a couple months ago in Turkey. It was five grand here to do the same procedure would have been $42,000. It's the same thing, literally the same thing. And I feel like I got a better care start to finish. They put me in a nice hotel that was included in the $5,000. The only thing I had to pay for was my flight but they covered my medications. They took me out at night. And why don't we do that? Like, I'm not looking to get bribed, but Hey, I'm flying across the world to go to a country to do something. I don't know anyone there. So yeah, I kind of feel like the company's kind of obligated to make sure that I still have some fun, even though I'm there for a procedure and make it as painless as possible, not over medicate me. And, um, I did a hair transplant in the States and it looked like a botched surgery. Like I can text you later, the before and afters, So you can really see the difference between how good the care is in another country. And when I was reading the pre-op, they're like, hey, bring an extra bag. And so I left some room in my suitcase. I'm like, oh, what are they going to send me home with? A bottle of something? I get there. It's literally a full carry-on size suitcase full of stuff that I need to bring back for a year to take care of my hair. When I did the surgery here, the doctor's like, oh, go buy this, go buy that. I'm like, huh? What do you mean go buy this? And these guys gave me a whole suitcase of stuff to last me literally 365 days. Wow. And I mean, you know, as someone who knows the healthcare industry, obviously way better than most, do you think that the, this will ever be solved? I mean, that the, these big, big pharma kind of preying on the average U.S. citizen? I'd love to say otherwise, but my opinion is no. I feel like it's only going to get worse. And how does one of the biggest drug manufacturers own one of the largest insurance companies and the largest mail order pharmacy in the country. That doesn't add up to me. Yeah. And then another thing we, I kind of skipped over was let's say you're an HIV patient and you don't have a government funding assistance and it's pure private care. I can fill you usually one time. And then after that one time, it has to go to their mail order specialty pharmacy because they can do it better supposedly. How's that fair? Your insurance company owns a pharmacy and you can't go where you want. They want to drive out all the mom and pops. Do you remember uh, the movie Dallas Buyers Club? Yes, I do. How how accurate is is that situation or or did that? um, I don't know. Did you did you first of all enjoy that? I love that movie, but uh, but it's dramatized for sure. But it gives you a pretty good overview of what's really happening. And how, you know, why did I have to go to Columbia to do stem cells to repair my neck injuries, my shoulder injuries, my back injuries, and overall wellness? When in the US, I go to my uh, ortho guy, he's like, oh, you got a tear here. We can go in, we can fix it, so on and so forth. I'm like, I don't want surgery. I literally walked out of surgery in Columbia after they injected everything 24 hours later. I feel amazing. Wow. No drugs. Well, they had to like 
twilight you. So there is some drugs, but there's no pain. There's no cutting you open. They're literally just injecting something to have something heal your body. If that were to be in the States, my assumption is 80% of orthopedic surgeons would be out of business because there'd be 80% less back surgeries, knees, shoulders. Like, why don't we have that in this country? And why do you have to leave the country to get that? Why is it considered illegal to do it in this country? And I truly love the company. I went to go see BioAccelerator out in Columbia because they really took care of me and really showed me a new way of living without pain. Well, there's also something that, and honestly, I, I really respect this about you and, and I heard you talk about it, is especially being in the healthcare industry, one of the things that you um, prioritize and have talked about is you don't want to over-medicate people because that is what a lot of people or a lot of these other companies are doing, um, which I think is awesome, especially in this country where clearly the over-medication is, is so blatantly obvious. What is kind of the, the thought process or the... Um, general process that you guys have with approaching, um, you know, when you're going to medicate someone to what level it's going to be. So unfortunately I don't get to make that decision, but I can help advise your doctor of, Hey, instead of doing this, maybe we should add this vitamin protocol to try and help the patient. And I, myself, even though I have a brain tumor, I still have to take medications, unfortunately, but I've learned, hey, this vitamin will help with this. So instead of taking 10 prescription meds, I can dial it to three or four. And then I take 30 supplements, which I'd much rather take a supplement and be as healthy as possible. Okay. And for you, I mean, just even talking about your brain tumor, I don't know how much you want to go into it or not. I mean, when did you know that that was present and what's that been like dealing with it? So I ran into an issue around 21, 22, um, I'd be at work. I'd send one of my employees to go get me a Starbucks, a Red Bull, and a Bear Claw every day. I'd eat it. I'd fall asleep. I'm like, dude, I just consumed a bunch of calories, a bunch of sugar, a bunch of caffeine. What the hell am I doing? Falling asleep. This went on for a couple months. And I went to go see my doctor. And he's like, all right, uh, let me do some blood work. Comes back. He's like, Brian, your testosterone's in the gutter. Like, your body's making none. He's like, did you use steroids? I'm like, really? I'm fucking fat. Did I fucking use steroids? Fuck off. If I was using steroids, I wouldn't have a keg. I'd have a six pack. And he's like, all right, let's go do an MRI. MRI of what? Your head. Why? Don't worry about it. I'll call you if it's something. Go do the MRI. Calls me back a week later. All right, we got something sitting on top of your pituitary gland. And that's what's stopping your body from producing the hormones. And that's why you have no testosterone. That's why your thyroid's messed up. That's why your growth hormones messed up and all that good stuff. So we got to start supplementing. And that's when I learned, I went across the country, uh, being in the industry I'm in, I have a lot of contacts. I said, I want this thing taken out of me. I went to go see one doctor. Oh, because you're overweight, your body's not making blah, blah, blah. Really? I was skinny a couple of years ago and I just started getting fat out of nowhere. Nothing's changed. Oh, your metabolism's changing. This is changing. I'm like, I'm 22 years old. Don't give me that. And another doctor, oh, you don't need to take all these medications. You'll be fine. And it's just crazy going to 10 different doctors in different states, getting so many different answers. I finally had to go search and start doing a lot of research myself and finding those answers and finding a doctor that's really willing to do the homework and really use me as a guinea pig uh, to find out what we need to do. And we try stuff. I'd have to give up. 18 vials of blood every month and just 
figure out what works for my body and what doesn't. And the crazy part is something might work for six months and then I go do blood work and everything went to shit again. So it's just constantly staying on top of it and constantly evolving and making sure that I stay tight on my regimen along with blood work and everything else. And then I also go and donate blood, whether they use it or not every three, four months, just to clear out my system as much as I can as well. So being in the medical world, I've also learned a lot of the holistic stuff. Like we did our birth at home. My wife didn't have any drugs. Didn't, you know, there was no, nothing. It was in a bathtub. Everything was quick. Everything was fast, painless. And the baby came out, no screaming, no bright lights in her face. Like I'm all about, even though I'm in healthcare, Hey, if there's an easier, more holistic method, I don't care if I don't make money. I want the best outcome for every person. And how are you feeling? I mean, today, is it something that you're able to- I feel normal. Like you can, you'd never know um, that I deal with anything or that I'm tired. Like I thought back then because I was grinding so much, that's why I was tired. And lo and behold, that wasn't. So I'm back to, I don't crash till midnight, one in the morning. And then I still wake up half a dozen times or a dozen times and just roll around and just lay there and play on my phone, work on emails, or I'll pace around the house at three o'clock in the morning, just working on stuff. Um, so no, you can't tell that anything's altered in my life. Now, do you, you know, if I tell you in five or 10 years, where do you want to be? Do you, do you think about that? I do. Um, I'd like to work a lot less than I work now because I average about 80 hours a week and I would like to have all those investments that I have really start paying off and paying it forward and giving back more, talking to people. And, you know, if I can figure out some speaking seminars that cover certain costs, coaching people for free and just doing those little things to give those people what they need. And I'm always curious. I always ask my guests if there's a, if they think about their legacy and I, and I want to ask you, do you ever think about what, you know, the Brian Goldstein legacy will, will be obviously in hopefully many, many more years. Are we talking about handing off the legacy or just the legacy for myself? When it's all said and done, obviously lots of healthy life ahead, but when it's all said and done, how do you hope that people remember Brian Goldstein? That I helped change a lot of lives for better. Awesome. Well, uh, Brian, thank you for, for taking the time. I know you're a busy man, so I appreciate you coming on my show and uh, pleasure to meet you. And uh, hopefully one day, I don't know if you, if you ever travel out to New York City, but have you in studio. But uh, if not, it's a, it's a pleasure and uh, hope to meet you in person sometime soon. All right, Felix. Great. Thanks for having me and look forward to speaking to you again soon, my friend. Thanks, man.